0: If you want to uh, look with me at Matthew 6, 9 to 13, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with, with reverence and joy, for this is the voice of our Lord. This is the voice of our God, and this is what he says. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your glory and grace being revealed to us In the Lord Jesus Christ and in uh, this particular passage, uh, would you help us now to to see you clearly in the, the person, the work, the teaching of Jesus, to be transformed by your grace in order to deny ourselves and to submit to you and to trust in you, put our faith in you. Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight? Lord, our rock, our redeemer, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you? Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word now? Uh, Lord, would you guide me as I teach? Would you protect the listeners from any error of mine? As we dig into your word now, would, would anything I say that's wrong just be wiped away from our memory? Lord, but would you keep me faithful? Would you keep us faithful to your word here? Would you help us to be hearers of the word and then also doers? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. All right, kids. Um, So I'm willing to bet that sometimes your mom and your dad tell you to do things like to clean up all your toys and share your toys and uh, to go to bed and to eat your vegetables and, and all sorts of things like that. Do your parents ever tell you to do things like that? I'm sure that they do. I'm sure that they do. And I'm also willing to bet that sometimes when they tell you to do those things, you don't really want to obey them, do you? You don't really want to pick up your toys and clean your toys up or share your toys because you're not quite done playing yet. And you don't really want to go to bed when they tell you to go to bed because you don't think you're tired. And, and sometimes you don't want to eat your vegetables. You're not a big fan of broccoli or cauliflower maybe. And so you don't want to eat your vegetables, do you? But sometimes, or you still, you still should obey them, right? You should still obey your parents. You should still submit to them and listen to them. You still go to bed when they tell you to go to bed. You still eat your vegetables. You still clean up your toys, right? I'm sure that you do. And the reason that you do this, kids, is because God has placed your parents in your life as your authority, and because you know that your parents love you and they want what's best with you for you, and so you can trust them. And because you trust them, you submit to them and, and their demands and their, their wishes, even when it means you don't get to do what you want to do. Well, in the prayer that Jesus teaches us here and that we're looking at this morning, Jesus teaches all of us to have the same attitude when we come to God. We're looking at, at the third petition of the Lord's Prayer here, where Jesus teaches us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's teaching us to say to God, what you want, God, is most important, not what I want. What you will for my life is better than what I will for my life. What you will for my sexuality, whether I'm male or female, married or single, is better than what I will. What you will for our families and for our church and for our city and for our world is better than what we will. But just as it's hard for the children in this room to give in to the will of their parents, as I'm sure... You all know, we see the same issue arise in our prayer life. And not just in our prayer life, but in all of our life, really. Like we looked at last week, when we go to pray, we're told to pray to our God and King to seek His agenda first. But what ends up happening most of the time is we end up praying and living in such a way that seeks to keep ourselves on the throne of our small lives. We pray for our own agenda, for our own enthronement, for our own will. And of course, we're to pray for our needs and our desires and our wants. But the first order of business and prayer and in all of life is God's agenda, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And the question that that I want to ask is how on earth are we to truly pray and live in such a way? And we see the answer here in this prayer. Let's look with me at, at the three needs to pray this prayer authentically. Your will be done is a prayer of self-denial, submission, and spectacular faith. Self-denial, submission, and spectacular faith. Firstly, self-denial. To say to God, your will be done, means at the same time that we are denying our own will. To say thy will be done means in turn that we're not saying my will be done. To say to God, your will be done, means that we're saying whatever you say goes. It's your way or the highway, even if it's not what I would have wanted. And this is really the entirety of the Christian life, isn't it? Uh, this, is, this is Christian Life 101. When you first come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are forsaking your life, your will, your desires that you've pursued up until that point. And then the same continues throughout the whole of the Christian life. We're, we're to constantly deny ourselves and our own will while in pursuit of God and His will for our lives. And Jesus sums up the call of the Christian life in Matthew 16, 24, where he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Luke 9:23, Luke reminds us of the same call and says that we're to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses daily and follow him. Every day picking up our cross. It's a daily pursuit. It's a daily execution of our own will. The Christian life is one of self-denial. And that's an issue for us, isn't it? It's an issue for us. We don't want to crucify self. We don't want to deny self. We want to comfort self, and serve self, and entertain self, and coddle self, and enthrone self here in Matthew 5, 21 to 26, Jesus tells us not to murder. And not only that, but not to, not to harbor hatred and harbor resentment for others in our heart. But man, giving into that hatred, that anger, that resentment feels so good when it's that family member, that politician, this coworker. And again, we're, we're commanded in Matthew 5 to not commit adultery. And, and not only that, but not to lust in our hearts. But it feels so right to give in to those temptations sometimes, even though it's not God's will for us. Again, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to to turn the other cheek when attacked and to love our enemies. But surely we can't be expected to obey every command, especially ones that are really hard like that. In these commands, we see that that God's will and our will are often opposed to each other. And this, of course, goes all the way back to Genesis 3, doesn't it? That's, that's the, 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 the event that Christians point to in order to give an answer for what's wrong with the world, why there's death and sin and suffering and tragedy and conflict. It goes all the way back to the garden where we as humanity, represented by our first parents, sought to enthrone ourselves and exalt ourselves over and against the throne of God. We, they, they, they disobeyed his command. They committed cosmic treason against the king and creator of all. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. And Frank Sinatra glorified this mindset in his song, uh, My Way, which really shows the epitome of our problem. Listen to these lyrics. He says, for what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way, my way. Apparently, according to Sinatra's daughter, he wasn't a big fan of the song. He thought it was self-seeking and, and uh, self-indulgent. And he's absolutely right. But the song struck a chord with fans. It's still celebrated to this day because it typifies our, our natural posture and attitude, our natural mindset. It, it's, it, it feels good to say, yes, my way, because our natural inclination is one of self-will. My way, my will, what I want. Mine, 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 me, me, me. That's our problem. We've all sought to enthrone ourselves. We've all sought our own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, everyone to his own way. Everyone. There's 7.5 billion people on the globe who are all claiming to be king, who are all seeking their own way, who have all enthroned themselves. We want it done their way. No wonder we have conflict and, and war and murder. That, that inevitably follows. When you have one king, you have peace. When you have two kings who are both claiming totality of their rule, you have conflict. You have war, death, murder. When you have three kings, four kings, 7.5 billion kings, war, death, murder, it's inevitably going to result in that. That's why we have no peace in our hearts and in our homes and our neighborhoods and our city and in our globe. We, we have no peace. We've sought to enthrone ourselves and to do our own will when we were created to live under the one true king, our God. And the only one who didn't live in this way is the king himself when he came down from heaven. Jesus, the one teaching us to pray here, the one who calls us to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses, he lived and died in this way himself. If you flip over in your Bibles to to Matthew chapter 26 and verses 36 to 46, we get a glimpse into the prayers of Jesus before going to his cross, where he purchased our justification. He said to our disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, He began to be very sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Even though he knew torture and crucifixion and death were coming, he denied himself. He submitted himself to the will of the Father, not as I will, but as you will. And then he drank it. He drank the cup that the Father willed for him, and he drank it to the last drop. He went to the cross. He died a sinner's death, although he was the only one who did the Father's will perfectly. And now he demands that we all pray in the same way, that we join him in the garden here, denying ourselves, submitting to him, picking up our cross, placing our faith in the Father and saying, your will be done. And this is what the discipline of of prayer is all about in the Christian life. The way of prayer is antithetical to the way of self-will. Will. Prayer, at least in the way that Jesus taught it, is an essential expression of self-denial and a chief means of the formation of the same. When coming to God in prayer, we're in essence saying, my will doesn't cut it. I need yours to be done. My way is death. Your way is life. And when we come to him and pray in such a way, he's slowly but surely forming us into the kind of people that deny ourselves and pick up our crosses. Paul Miller says in his his wonderful book, Uh, A Praying Life, that I quote, self-will and prayer are both ways of getting things done. At the center of self-will is me carving a world in my image, but at the center of prayer is God carving me in his son's image. That's why we need to pray In this way, we need to pray in this way for strength to deny our wills when they're opposed to God's will. And we need to pray in this way because it's in these moments of prayer that God is forming our wills to align with his own. Self-denial is needful to pray in this way and praying this way cultivates self-denial in us. And secondly, we see that this is a prayer of submission. To pray your will be done means submitting to God's will. Now, I know that sounds a lot like self-denial, and the two are, are connected. They're, they're, there's no doubt. They're closely connected, but they're not the same thing. They're, they're like two sides of the same coin. You, you, you can't submit to God without first denying your own will, and you can't submit to his will unless you first deny your own will. So now by, by submission, what we mean is to comply or to resign to the authority of God, to, to submit to, to his authority, and on the one hand, submission is something that that I think uh, all of us are something rather. U- it's all it's something we're rather used to. It's something we do every day. Uh, we submit to our governing authorities by paying taxes and driving the speed limit, <clears throat> right? And we submit. Children submit to their parents by going to bed at a certain time, cleaning up, the boys. Things we've already talked about. We submit to our bosses at work by getting this, that project done by this deadline, or. or Showing up to work on time is a normal part of life that all of us in some way, shape, or form get used to. But on the other hand, like with self-denial, there are a few things that are more difficult for us to practice than submission. Our culture is one that's, that's built on the suspicion and the rebellion uh, against authority. That, that sort of thing is celebrated. It's seen as, as being virtuous. And particularly, submission to the authority of God is, is difficult since we've all sought to enthrone ourselves and all sought to be king of our own lives. We don't, like we've talked about, we don't submit to the king who claims total authority over it. We We don't, we don't want to, to put our crowns down and pick up our crosses. We don't want to submit to God's will for our lives. But here's the thing. If the God that we're taught to pray to here is our creator, then it's only right that we submit to him. It's only right that we submit to his will. We looked at, at God's authority as, as king last week and God's right as, as king last week. Let's be reminded of that again. God is, God is the highest and the greatest of all beings. He is the eternal God and our creator. And because he's our creator, he has the moral right. He has the moral right to rule over us. It's, it's his divine Right, as the one who made us, he has the right to determine how we're to live, what we're to do, how we're to do it, and why we're to do it. He has the right to do so. Listen to what Isaiah 45, 9 to 10 says here Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? And so as creatures created by God, we have no right to quarrel with or to oppose our creator. Like a potter has authority over his or her pottery, or an author has authority over his or her story that he or she is writing, or a parent has authority over his or her child. God has authority over his creatures. He has the right to call us to live in a way that pleases him. It's his right. And as our creator, wouldn't he know best? Just like like the best one to ask about how a certain piece of pottery is supposed to be used, wouldn't that be the potter themselves? Since God created us and, and he designed his creation to work in a particular way, wouldn't he be the best one to ask about how we're to live? Wouldn't his word be the best place to find out how it is that we're to live? Wouldn't he be the best one to consult in order for us to flourish and have freedom and life and protection. Abraham Kuyper, one of my favorite theologians, he he reminds us that to submit to God and his authority is really just the wisest thing to do. Uh, he, he said that, he said this, and as we submit to God's will, he says, we adjust ourselves to God's command, not by force, as though they were a yoke of which we would like to rid ourselves, but with the same readiness with which we follow a guide through the desert, recognizing that we are ignorant of the path, which the guide knows, and therefore acknowledging that there's no safety, but in closely following his footsteps, Submitting to God and to his will for our lives is like following a guide through the desert when we don't know the way. There's no safety but closely following in his footsteps. We must submit to the will of God. Submitting to him saying your will be done is really the only way to true blessing in life. It's one of the reasons that God gives us his commandments and reveals his will for us in his word because like a good father, he wants us to live in his will because it's what's best for us. I remember a few years ago, before I was married, I lived with a few close friends, and one of my roommates, was a close friend I grew up, he, he, he worked at the Boston Stoker on Brown Street. You might, if you've been around for a while, you might remember when that was open. That was my spot. I was there like every single day. And uh, there was a police officer who came in regularly. Uh, he came in pretty much every day to, uh, during his shift to grab some coffee, and he kind of grew to be buddy-buddy with, with my friend that worked here. And uh, one day, I, I can't his name. We'll just call him Bob. Um, One day, Bob came in, and and, uh, he he was not in his uniform, and and he told uh, my friend that it was his day off, and uh, that he was just relaxing, going about his day in a leisurely manner, and he thought he'd stop in to get some coffee. And as he was leaving, my friend called out to him and said, have a good day off, Bob. And Bob turned around as he was leaving, and with a straight face said, don't tell me what to do. Walked out. (laughs) And and that's basically what we're doing. We don't submit to God's will for our lives. That's basically we're having a day it's an unkind or tyrannical command. That's a kind thing to tell someone, even if you're kind of telling them what to do. And God's will for us is like that. His commands are not the commands of a cruel or, or tyrannical. His will is not unkind or tyrannical. They're the commands kind and gracious king who is also our heavenly father. And when we don't obey commands, when we don't believe his promises, we don't submit ourselves to his will. We're basically saying to his wonderful blessing, don't tell me what to do. And so we should eagerly pray to God, your will be done. We should eagerly submit to his will. We should eagerly Seek his will in word and his word and in prayer because he's our creator and our king and our gracious father and he's, he knows best. He knows best. He's our king with all authority. He rules with utter totality. and So we should submit to his authority and he's also our gracious father who loves us and knows us best. So we should submit to his authority. But now to deny ourselves and submit to God's will first requires that we trust him. Prior to self-denial submission comes faith, trust, faith, spectacular faith, which is why we also see that this prayer is a prayer of spectacular faith. Your will be done is a prayer of spectacular faith. Because it's a prayer that requires trust that God is good and that his will is best. It's a prayer that trusts that that he's powerful and capable of answering. It's a prayer that rests in the goodness and the sovereignty and the power of God. By praying in this way, we're entrusting ourselves to him. But Then we also see that that it's a prayer of spectacular faith and the enormity of the request. This, This is a big prayer. This is a big prayer. Notice the second part of the petition on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're not just denying ourselves and submitting to God's will personally, which we very much are, but we're also seeking God's will for all circumstances, all peoples, all of creation, even. We're seeking God's purposes for his creation to come to through to come to, through, to, come to fruition in all the earth. Excuse me. God's revealed will is done perfectly in heaven, and, and we're asking that the same would be done on earth, in our hearts, in our circumstances, in, our, in the lives of our friends and family, in our neighborhood and city. We're asking in my heart as it is in heaven, God, and, and so-and-so's life as it is in heaven, and Dayton as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, and it takes bold faith to pray in such a way. I'm afraid that, that often this particular petition can be used as, as like an added caveat to our prayers in case they're not answered. Lord, would you save this person if it's your will? Lord, would you provide for this need if it's your will? Would you heal this person if it's your will? And that's not the type of prayer that's being commanded here. The type of prayer being commanded here is a prayer that's bold, that's expectant, that's filled with audacious and steadfast faith. Spectacular faith. In the God to whom it's, it's being prayed. Of course, there's nothing necessarily wrong with saying if it's your will in a prayer. If, if your conscience requires that you pray in such a way, do so. But if, if you pray that way because of timid and weak faith, if you're praying that way because you're not expecting God to hear you and to answer, then let me encourage you, Christian, your God is big and he's mighty and good and he loves to give his children good gifts. He loves to answer If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, of course, that doesn't mean that every single one of our prayers will be answered in the way that we think they should be. Sometimes as God's children, we ask for silly or foolish, harmful things. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But church family, the call in this petition and in the teaching of Jesus here is to pray with bold, spectacular faith. Pray with expectancy that God hears and will answer and that he delights in doing so. As Martin Luther once said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of his willingness. And Luther was an example to us all in this. I read the story this last week, In the year 1540, Luther's good friend and and partner in the Reformation, Frederick Meconius, it's quite the name, became ill and was expected to die in just a a short time. And wanting to say his last goodbyes to Luther, he wrote him a letter, wanted to let him know about his affection, his gratitude to Martin. Once Luther received this letter, he wrote back very boldly, as only Luther could. I I love these, these words here. I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the world of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. For this I am praying and my will be done because I seek only to glorify the name of God. These are the words of a man of of audacious and bold faith. It's almost jarring to us. They seem rather presumptuous, don't they? But Luther saw prayer a little bit differently than we do. He saw prayer as laying hold of God's willingness. He saw the God to whom he was praying as a God who is good and powerful and who delights in answering the petitions of his people who desire to glorify his name. Do we know anything about that kind of prayer? Do we know anything about that kind of bold and spectacular faith? When we, when we turn our face to heaven, do we see a God who is ready and willing and powerful to answer prayer? When we, when we come to God in prayer, do we pray with expectancy? Do we pray with a holy fervor and expectancy? Do we, or do we ask God for small things and expect small things from him? Do we ask big, bold, audacious things from God and expect Him to answer in big, powerful ways? I think the majority of us could grow in this. I know I could. By the way, Frederick Meconius did recover, he outlived Luther by two months. But do we pray big, audacious prayers of spectacular faith like we see in this petition? Do we say to God, Father, your will be done in our children's lives. Would you transform them by the power of your glory and grace? Would your will be done in my neighborhood as it is in heaven? Would you help me be faithful in declaring and demonstrating the gospel of grace? And would you transform? Would you grant repentance to my neighbors and my friends? Lord, would your will be done in Dayton as it is in heaven? Would you bring justice and righteousness and and transform and heal? Would you end abortion and human trafficking? And would you break the power of addiction? Would you bring reconciliation in your church amongst those of different races and cultures and socioeconomic statuses? I've been humbled by the prayer of, of John Knox, a, a Scottish minister in the late 1500s. In his prayers, he would say, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland, God. And that, that seems, these, these were not presumptuous or arrogant prayers, but the prayers of a man jealous to see God's name glorified and to see God's will done on the earth as it is in heaven. I mean, we pray in the same way for our homes and, and our church and our city. Let your will be done in my life, in our home, in our church, in our city, on earth, as it is in heaven. And friends, let me tell you, spectacular faith like this is totally appropriate if the object of our faith is our triune God. Bold, audacious prayers such as this are totally appropriate if they're directed at God our Father and King. Spectacular faith and prayers like this are appropriate because he's a spectacular God. He's spectacular in his character. That is to say, he's, he's good. The, the God to whom we're taught to pray here is good. His love is steadfast and far-reaching. He extends grace to the vile and needy. He, he, his mercies are new every morning. His compassion for us is sweet and tender. Richard Sibbs once said, God is a life-giving and warming son who delights to spread his beams and his influence on inferior things, to make all things fruitful. Such a goodness is in God as, in, as is in a fountain or in the breast that loves to ease itself of milk. He's good, far more generous and willing to answer prayer and to give than we are to receive. He's spectacular in his power, not only in his character, but his power. Not only are are spectacular faith and bold prayers appropriate because of his goodness, but because he has the power to accomplish what he wishes and his good and gracious and compassionate will. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does all, all, all that he pleases. He's powerful to do anything he wants to do. As we looked at last week, he's, he's omnipotent. He, he has all power. He speaks and planets fling, planets fling into existence. He, he speaks and nations rise and fall. Every speck of dust is under the power, the control of our sovereign king. He is spectacular in his power and in his character. In church, we see in this petition, petition that he's got a spectacular plan too. Like we looked at last week, it's a plan in which heaven and earth will be united once more. All sin and death and suffering will end forever for God's people. We will be raised from the dead. We will rule and reign with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will be with God and his will will be perfectly executed and done on earth as it is in heaven. Because heaven and earth will be one. He commands us to pray in such a way. And he doesn't command us to pray in this way as if it will never happen. It most certainly will. will. Because in his spectacular character and power, he will execute his spectacular plan of uniting heaven and earth as one. In closing, I want us to remember that the one teaching us this prayer is the ultimate fulfillment of it. He is heaven coming down to earth. He is the eternal Son of God, the God of heaven himself coming down to us. He came from heaven to do the Father's will. In John six thirty eight, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so if we want to know what it is we're asking here, if we want to know what it is we're praying for, if we want to know what it looks to live like, what it looks to live like to live in God's will, you can simply look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at his preaching and teaching. Look at his righteous life and his gracious acts of healing and forgiveness. Look at his death for our sins and his victorious resurrection. Jesus is the will and the word of God himself. He reveals to us the spectacular character of God. He manifests to us the spectacular power of God, and he himself is at the center of God's spectacular plan. And close with reading Ephesians 1, 9 to 10, Paul tells us that in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches, the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight listen to this, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for all the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ Jesus, God makes known to us the mystery of his will and God will ultimately unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you wanna know what it is to pray this prayer, what we're praying for, we must look to Jesus, the one teaching us to pray here for we can only truly pray in this way in his power and in his grace. Let's go to him now.